I appreciate Brother Sistrunk very, very much. He is a soul-winning man and has a burden for lost. And it doesn't take very long when you begin to talk to somebody, you find out what their, what their thing is. And his thing is reaching lost people. And uh, we're honored to have him, and the uh, whole missions department brought him to speak to us the next three mornings. And Brother Sister Uncle, we're honored to have you. Take your liberty. Come give us what the Lord has given you. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Praise God. I've got the faithful here this morning for camp meeting. What a wonderful privilege to be in Alaska. Thank you, Brother Blackshear. Thank you, Brother Parrish, District Board, for inviting me and allowing me to come back again. That's always a good sign when you get to come back again, right? And so, I mean, I didn't mess up too bad. Uh, but uh, so it's good to be here this morning. I, you can be seated. I, it brought me here to talk about uh, church planting. And I confess. I confess to a lifelong love affair with the church. I've been fascinated with the church since I was raised in the church. Uh, I was raised under the pew in the church. I watched the church in operation as soon as I got my driver's license at 15 in the state of Mississippi. Uh, I started being the first one to church. I've been the first person at church most of my life. There was a lady that was beating me there in Detroit. Um, and I was a little bitter about it, but I, I couldn't help it. Uh, she lived closer than me, and I couldn't get my wife to leave that early. So anyway, <laughs> we worked through that issue. <laughs> but... Uh, I just love everything about the church. Uh, if you love Jesus, you have to love the church because the church is his chosen bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He shed his own blood for the church. He bought us with his blood. And the church is fascinating. It's fascinating. Today, I am going to either bore you or help you. And uh, because I'm going to talk about why we plant churches. It may sound a little bit like the famous phrase, I don't know if Vince Lombardi ever actually did this, but they say he was going to teach these professional ball players how to play football. And so he goes in the locker room. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. And that sounds pretty boring in elementary. But sometimes we forget why we do what we do. And if you forget why you're doing what you're doing, or if you don't really know why you're doing what you're doing, I'm sure you've heard the story about the lady who cooked the ham and she always cut the top of it off. 
And so uh, they said, well, why do you cut the top off the ham? She said, I, I don't know. That's what my mother did. So they asked the mother. The mother said, I don't know why I cut the My grandmother did. So they asked grandmother. She said, well, my pot was too small. I couldn't fit the lid on it. So I always cut the. So you don't, you don't know why you're doing something. You, sometimes you're just doing things. Uh, but it's. It's fascinating to me that Jesus only mentions church twice in his entire ministry. He says famously in Matthew 16, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So first time he mentioned it, the next time he mentions it is also in Matthew. It's Matthew 18, and he's talking about if you have a problem with somebody, go to them. If they won't listen to you, go uh, take somebody with you. And then he says, bring it to the whole church. And then immediately after that, he said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Only two were... Now, you go to Acts, you go to the epistles, and it's full of church. So, what did the apostles understand when Jesus spoke those words? Because he never explains it to them, really. In fact, it's one of the theological conundrums of the church today is how is this church supposed to be structured? Uh, how is it supposed to operate? Because Jesus just simply doesn't give us a lot of details. He says, upon this rock I will build my ecclesia. And uh, the assumption that you can make is the apostles knew what he was saying when he uttered that word, ecclesia. And so I want to look at that uh, today. Where, where did this concept come from, we, when we say church today, it needs no further explanation, right? It, it conjures up in our mind immediately. Uh, maybe it's a little white clapboard church with a steeple on it. Maybe it's a POA of Ale you know, Alexandria, the big crowd. Maybe it's this, but it, it, it has an immediate context and connotation in your mind when you say church. Uh, we, we don't use church for anything else. There's no uh, other use for church it's a ecclesiastical word and it has a specific meaning that was not the case with the word ecclesia ecclesia was not a ecclesiastical word it wasn't a uh, church word it wasn't a religious word it was a word that Jesus used and he said I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and the apostles didn't ask him questions about it. They didn't say, now what's, what's an ecclesia? What's a church? Uh, tell us more. They knew what Jesus was saying. And so how did they know? And this is where I'm either going to bore you or I'm going to help you. But uh, the, the church isn't, it's not something we just made up. It's not a man-made thing. It's not something that we just decided to organize. 
but it is rooted in the very foundation of God's eternal plan for mankind. Isaiah 9, uh, 6 and 7 says, uh, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. We know that when Messiah came, that he was coming to establish a government. God always intended to rule this world. God always intended to be in control of this world. He created this world to be in control of it. We have a little temporary hiccup in the, in the timeline of God where Adam ceded his control and his dominion over to Satan and now we have Satan as the God of this world. But believe me, it's temporary. I said, believe me, it's temporary. And so God tries to speak to all of mankind for, what, 2,000 years. He tries to talk to mankind with a bullhorn, so to speak. He's trying to reach everybody. And finally, after the Tower of Babel, he says, I'm done with that approach. I'm not trying to reach everybody anymore. I'm going to call one man. I'm going to make a nation out of him. And I'm going to instill my laws and my principles in him. And through him... All families of the earth shall be blessed. So the plan was never just Israel. The plan was never just the Jews. The plan was always all of mankind, but incrementally. And this Messiah that was to be born through Abraham's seed was going to establish a kingdom of which there should be no end to the increase of his kingdom. You know, one day, all of human government is going to be squashed. Daniel saw it in a vision, or Nebuchadnezzar saw it in a vision. The rock hewed out of a mountain, and it came down, and it crushed all of the Gentile governments and the governments of man, and that rock grew and filled the entire world. That's the kingdom of God. Amen. One day. Hallelujah. His feet's coming back. He's going to touch the Mount of Olives. It's going to split open and he's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. Aren't you glad you're part of the kingdom of God? But there's incremental steps along the way before Jesus is setting in Jerusalem, ruling over the world. There's incremental steps along the way. And of course, the nation of Israel was an incremental step. Uh, Moses tells them, he says, I'm going to, uh, he said, you shall be to me, or God says through Moses, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Priesthood of all believers was not just in the New Testament. Peter quotes uh, God speaking in Deuteronomy, I believe it's 19, uh, uh, verse 6, uh, you it's the fulfillment. The church is the fulfillment of what God promised to Israel. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. He says to Moses, he said, And he humbled thee and suffered thee hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. As, uh, the, the prophets prophesied that uh, there were coming a day when the laws would be written on the tablets of their heart. 
Isaiah 54 and 3, And all thy children shall be taught of Jehovah, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Uh, uh, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith Jehovah. I will put my law in their inward parts, and in their heart will I write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more uh, every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know Jehovah, for they shall all know me. Now, God always intended to rule over his people directly. The temple that was given, uh, some may say the height of Judaism was Sol the worship at Solomon's temple when all sacrifices were made there at the temple and all the men were coming. But that temple really only lasted for two generations. God's plan was never just to have a temple to where sacrifices were taken and there was a, a, a separation between the people and God. He never wanted to be behind that curtain and in that box. Not where God ever wanted to be. It was a temporary thing. And, and uh, we, we see this evolving. You, you read, you know, after the destruction of the temple, have you ever wondered about that? Man, what did they do when they had no temple? How did they worship God? I mean, according to the law of Moses, they, you couldn't even, they, they weren't sprinkling blood on the mercy seat every year and rolling those sins ahead. That did not happen. They lost the box. Right? Lost the mercy seat. That, that was never God's ultimate plan. And you, look, you see, after they've been exiled, the ten tribes, uh, uh, please stay with me here. This is important to see God's unfolding plan and where we fit into it today. It's very vital that we know why we're doing what we're doing. Amen. And so the ten tribes were uh, uh, taken away. They were defeated uh, by the Syrians, and then uh, the two tribes that were left went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years, and then uh, the decree by Cyrus, and they, they began to rebuild the temples, Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And, and, and he, they were rebuilt the temple, but, but somehow in all of that, the priesthood disappears. We have this man named Ezra who was an anointed scribe. He was not a priest. He was not of the Aaronic priesthood. And he began to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Of course, we know the ten tribes weren't lost. They were just dispersed. And they, there was a great revival after God brought this. He tried with Israel for about 900 years to get them to do right and they wouldn't, and finally he just said, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to disperse you everywhere. And so Palestine goes from 7 million Jews to about 100,000. That's pretty severe. And those that came back to the exile and rebuilt the temple, they were converted. Israel never will go again into idolatry after that. They learned their lesson. But they begin to have a text-based religion. Ezra started that. 
It was about the Torah. It was about the law of God. It was about uh, his principles and his precepts. And so you open up the New Testament. You ever wonder why you open up the New Testament and the New Testament Judaism looks nothing like Old Testament Judaism? I mean, absolutely nothing. You never see a synagogue really in the Old Testament, right? Uh, you, you, you got a Sanhedrin. You got Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. You're like, where'd all that come from? Boom. You close Malachi. You got that little uh, uh, disruption there or that huge disruption there. And things are uh, uh, different. When you got, now you got Ezra, an anointed scribe, kind of in charge of the religious revival. You got even heathen kings building the temple and, 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 and the the Jews are not under self-rule, and they're trying to figure out how to serve Jehovah. And so the system of synagogue worship develops. And so they begin to meet together in groups. Hebrew word, kahal. Uh, it means assembly of God. Are the people of God assembled? It's not talking about the congregation at large or Israel at large, but kahal, the assembly of the congregation. And, and just like Ezra found that scroll, synagogues begin to be founded. And, 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 and I'm not going to give you a history of the synagogue this morning, but, but the, every synagogue has, a, has the Torah in it, the Word of God. That's the center of it because it's based on reading the word of God. And so this is how the Jews worship Jehovah for probably 300 years. It's the system of worship that the apostles and Jesus readily embraced and were participating in. Jesus was going to the, to the temple and, and, and they went to the synagogue. These were not uh, uh, banned things. This was not out of the will of God. This was in the plan of God. Jesus railed against the uh, uh, abuses of it he railed against the corruption of it but he never attacked the structure of it and so they participated in it and so if you read the, during this time the Hebrew uh, language basically became extinct it was not in use and the whole world was speaking Greek and uh, and and so uh, the the Jews had uh, hundred years before Christ, uh, had translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek, called the Septuagint. And so all of the, that's why our New Testament is written in Greek, is because uh, the uh, apostles spoke Greek. And the world spoke Greek. Hebrew was for the scholars there, not, not used hardly at all. And, and, and so the word... Uh, translated uh, the Hebrew word kahal, which means the assembly together, was the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia. And that's what Jesus said. Upon this rock I will build not a ecclesia, my ecclesia. A assembly of people gathered in my name. The Greek word ecclesia, in classical Greek, it comes from to herald. The people were called together to meet 
by the trumpet, by the herald. It means an assembly duly called together. Some have said Ecclesia means called out. Really, it doesn't. We are called out people, but not from that word. That word does not uh, really mean called out. It means called together as an assembly. Going down to the Hellenistic period, and it takes on a different meaning. Of course, Greek Greece was the center of democracy. It's where we get our democracy from. Is from Greeks, and Ecclesia was their meeting together to make decisions. So, in the Hellenistic period, the assembly of Athens or became called the Ecclesia of Athens. It had kind of lost some of its uh, democracy by then. But it was still rooted in that. It, the, the word evolved kind of like our, the word Congress. When I say Congress, we think of what? The United States Congress. Well, you know that a group of salamanders is also called a Congress. Okay, you know, it, it, Congress means really to walk together. And so uh, it, it, it has a different meaning, but we've kind of lost that. Now, you probably hadn't talked about a Congress of Salamanders lately, have you? Uh, well, anyway, Ecclesia was kind of like that, and it, it really became uh, like an official gathering. The Ecclesia of Athens, it, it, when, in Acts, when they delivered Paul up to the town council, they delivered him up to the Ecclesia. So it means a group of people gathered for a specific purpose. You come together, if it's a council meeting, it's to make decisions for your jurisdiction, for that city, okay? If it, it, but when the church is called together, the ecclesia of Christ is called together, we meet together for a specific purpose. He said, upon this rock I will build my ecclesia. It's always considered in a local context. In the very definition of the word, Jesus didn't have to say local ecclesia. Ecclesia is local. There's no such thing as a universal ecclesia in the context of Jesus' word. It's all local. That may not be doing a lot for you, but let me... We do a lot of talking about spiritual warfare, right? I do too. I, it, it's, it's real. Spiritual warfare is real. What do we, we, most times though, we think about something in a Frank Peretti novel, though, you know, we're in our prayer closet somewhere. We're groaning and angels are flying around and demons are doing warfare and we're praying, God, let the angels win. Right? I mean, that's spiritual Warfare, and that we do wrestle against principalities and powers. And I, I'm not demeaning all of that. I am telling you, all of that is absolutely worthless without the local church. The way God's kingdom is built is by building local churches. Ecclesia. A, a city, uh, the Catholics believe this. The, the Catholics, uh, they had a, I always mess up the Latin because I don't really know it. I'm just kind of trying to sound smart. 
uh, extra ecclesium nola, nula salus. No salvation outside the church. When Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was giving more meaning in context to Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 that he would have an ever-increasing government. It is the church, the local church, that tears down and takes territory from Satan and establishes the dominion and the kingdom of God. There is no salvation outside of the kingdom of God. When we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying, God, let your church grow, let it increase, let it take over the world. That is why we plant churches, is to establish the kingdom of God. There is no salvation outside of the church. He shed his blood for the church. He's coming back for the church. If you're going to get to heaven, you're going to be in the church. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Catholics believe something they call transubstantiation. They actually believe that you can only be saved by the sacraments, which is taking in the grace of God. And the, and the Lord's Supper is their most holy sacrament, I suppose. And they believe you literally the wafer and the wine become flesh and become blood as it's blessed by the priest and administered and we take it and that's how you receive grace into your body. Now we know that's false doctrine. <laughs> but what is not false doctrine is Matthew 18 where he said where two or three are gathered. In my name, there I am in the midst of them. I believe in transubstantiation in that context. When we come together in the name of Jesus, he's there present physically with us. I'm touching the body of Christ right now. The literal flesh of Christ. The blood of Christ is running through us because we are his body. And members in particular. It's the most powerful thing in the world to come to church and see Jesus. And touch Jesus. And fellowship with Jesus. It's not in a little symbols, but it's in you and I gathered in his name. Something powerful, spiritual, supernatural happens when we gather locally in the name of Jesus. We're transformed 
a living room is transformed into the very kingdom of God. That's why I love the church because it's the way I get to see Jesus. I get to see Jesus every week. I don't have to worry about the apostles and be jealous of the apostles. I get to see Jesus every week because I'm in church and I'm gathered in his name. He's here right now. I said he's here right now. Hallelujah. Home missions, pastor, don't you dare. Don't you dare be discouraged when it's just you and your wife and your kids gathered in his name. It doesn't matter if you're under a tree. It doesn't matter if you're in a basement. It doesn't matter if you're in a storefront. When you're gathered in his name, there's transubstantiation. There is the very physical presence of the Lord God Almighty in our midst. We become the doorway to salvation in our community. It is establishing the kingdom of God. Whereas Satan had reign in that city before you got there. Whereas Satan had free reign. And there was no entrance ramp to the kingdom of God. Now a door is open to the eternal. Where you can be saved. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not overstating it, not even a little bit. I said I'm not overstating it, not even a little bit. I'm not saying it strong enough. I don't have the vocabulary to tell you how powerful it is when you gather in His name. Every city has to have a church. I said every city has to have a church. There is no salvation without the church. Catholic Church believes that you can't be saved unless a priest gives you the sacrament. That's why there's a Catholic Church on every street corner, it seems like. Certainly every city possible, there's a Catholic Church because they have a theological belief that says the people in this city can't be saved unless they can get to a church and take communion. I tell you this, I don't believe that a person can be saved unless they come to church and they receive the Holy Ghost. They're baptized in Jesus' name. They're taught the Word of God. They begin to live by their faith. 
They need the five-fold ministry to be perfected. It only happens in a local church. Oh, God. <laughs> People ask me why I plant churches. Probably for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm articulating why I plant churches. It's been in me. I've known it. It's been in me since I was a kid. Sometimes you got to articulate the theological reason why you do what you do. Sometimes we get confused by this concept of a universal church. There is no universal church that we can see or touch or feel. God runs the universal church. We are all connected. We're here from different United Pentecostal churches today because we have a need and a desire to be in unity. But when you leave here, you're going to get inspired you're going to get strengthened. You're going to get some theology. But you better go home to your local church and realize that's where you receive grace every week. Let me tell you something. You know what, you know what apostasy really is? Let me tell you what apostasy really is. It's not going to church. Hebrews 10, we quote all the time, Forsake not the assembling of yourself together, as the manner of some is, even the more so as you see the day approaching. For if you sin willfully, there remaineth no more sacrifice. It's linked. Not going to church condemns you to hell for eternity. It is apostasy. It is a decision that you make not to assemble when you've been called to assemble. It is you checking out of God's kingdom. It is the opposite of praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It is you saying, I am not going to be part of God's kingdom on earth. I'm not overstating it. Read it, study it, break it down. The church is God's kingdom. The local church. Every time somebody tries to get all the churches together and then run them from some that, 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 uh, hierarchy, they, 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 it always falls and it always does damage to the kingdom of God. Because that's not what Jesus said. He said, upon this rock I will build my ecclesia. And it's local. You can't be saved just coming to camp meeting. I believe this, folks. I've spent 28 years of my life walking this in shoe leather. Because that's the only way you stay planting a church. Is because you know you're on a divine mandate from God to establish his kingdom in that city. Spiritual warfare always comes out in shoe leather. Sometimes you got to get out of your prayer closet and go knock on a door and go teach a Bible study and go get the Word of God implanted in somebody's life so they can submit to it and Jesus Christ become the Lord of their life and they can be born again of the water and the Spirit. And you know what? Now you've chalked one up for the kingdom of God. He used to be under Satan's rule. Now he's under God's rule. Hallelujah. One more, one more, one more, one more, one more. 
Oh, hallelujah. No wonder the Bible says that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Oh, one sinner repents. The kingdom of God is expanding. It's expanding. My, 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 my. Jesus. What a privilege. What a privilege. No wonder they were able to say they counted, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer. I saw Brother Scott Graham, most of you have heard him preach. He, he posted he was on a flight, honor flight, the 33 veterans flying to Kansas City. He said, man, I don't feel worthy to be on this plane. Why? Because those men suffered for the United States of America. If they can, if we can honor people for suffering for the United States of America, uh, 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 the best country in the world, but an evil country nonetheless. How about us? Are you willing to bear arms for Jesus? Are you willing to bear a little suffering for Jesus to establish His kingdom? Are you willing to take a little rejection for Jesus? Are you willing to be poor a little while for Jesus? Are you willing to give up a little time for Jesus to establish His kingdom? No greater privilege. No greater privilege. It's not enough for us to build mega churches. I said it's not enough for us to build mega churches. A mega church in Anchorage will not establish the kingdom of God in Sterling. It won't do it. 20,000 young people at Youth Congress will not establish the kingdom of God in Hot Coffee, Mississippi. Somebody's got to go there. And gather in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. On a local basis. Somebody's got to teach the word of God in that city. Somebody. The five-fold ministry has to be established in that city. So that people in that city can come into the church. I know there's got to be some towns in Alaska that don't have more than 50 people. Let me tell you, they deserve a church. They deserve a church. Oh, I, I met with a fellow last year. Is it Brother Farmer? Brother Farmer, yeah, a, a snowmobile in one town, back to another town. When the weather's right, he can fly in. That's a church. I said, that's a church. They're gathered in his name. Hallelujah. And Jesus is present. Yeah, the Methodists had it right. Circuit riding. If you don't have a guy that can be full time there and get a salary in that city, send him to four or five and have him blow the trumpet and assemble the congregation together in the name of Jesus so that people can be saved. I pray to God that a church planting fervor would take over us when we realize that we're establishing the kingdom of God. Every local church is an expansion. Every local church is a fulfillment of Isaiah 9 and 7 of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. 
Oh, hallelujah. If I was a young person, I'd give my life to church planning all over again. I wish I was 17 again. I'd do more church planning. I'd do it harder. I wouldn't spend, I'd spend more time instead of uh, feeling sorry for myself. I'd spend more time rejoicing that I was worthy to suffer by the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. Every section of every Every city deserves a church. Oh, hallelujah. Well, I'm going to, I don't know what to do. I want to go plant a church. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. We can be distracted. I said we can be distracted for things, with different things. We can get distracted with conferences. I love camp meeting. I'm here. I'm speaking at one. I'm going to go home. I'm going to make sure I haven't taken any speaking engagements for my Michigan district conference because I get to assemble. Now, you, I could go into all of that too. Acts 15 churches get together and talk about things. And we should. And I love general conference. I, I see general conference different than a lot of people. I see... A bunch of angels of God. Generals in God's kingdom army. Meeting together, talking about important issues. I I feel like I'm sitting in the mind of Christ. Now some people think it's all political. They don't they think I don't I don't see it that way. We're all people and we're all frail humans. But let me tell you something. We all meet every week. (laughs) <laughs> we all meet every week as the ecclesia of God. The Bible says a church, the gates of hell will not prevail. We are a victorious church. I said we're a victorious church. Success is assured. My Bible says if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. I don't ever worry about whether or not a church is going to fail or succeed. It's going to succeed. That's right. That's right. Huh? I'm, I, even if that particular local church, uh, Paul said he lost all in Asia at one time. Hey, even if it only lasts two years, for two years there was a door open in that city. For people to be saved. For two years, Satan lost control over that city. And you know what? Whatever victory Satan gains is just temporary. We'll be back. We'll be back. Because there's people praying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I was planting my first church in Ann Arbor and I thought that I would just stay in Ann Arbor and do what it was a common model at the time, build that church up big and strong and financially secure and send other poor unsuspecting souls out to start churches. (laughs) Uh, And one day I was driving through this little community and I was, look, 
I was, had a Bible study with a guy, and I was lost, and I couldn't find it, so I was driving back and forth. We had about 13 people coming to Ann Arbor from this town, and I get to the intersection, and God showed me a vision of a church in the middle of that intersection, and people were walking from each direction of that intersection, north, south, east, and west, into that church. And I just sat there for a minute, and I didn't know what to think of it. I didn't know why God was showing it to me. I went on up to another intersection, and I saw the same vision. And the Lord said, I want you to plant a church in this city, and people are going to come from all these other communities that don't have a church, and they're going to come here. And I said, but Lord, I, I... only have 60 people in Ann Arbor. We don't have a building. I gave him all my excuses of why it wasn't time to start a church in that city. And then he showed me another vision. And there was a little lady in a rocking chair, a little gray-haired lady. And smoke was coming up out of her house. And the Lord let me know that was her prayers. And she said, they're praying for a church in this city. And I don't have anybody else to send but you. And you're going to go. Let me tell you something. Somebody's praying in a city right now. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The only place that happens is in the local church. I wonder how many good Catholic people are praying the rosary today. They don't even know what they're praying. But there's something inside of them that wants to be saved. And there's a Savior that came to seek and to save that which is lost. And his method of doing that is to establish a local church in every city so that he can gently by his spirit lead them so that they can hear the truth and they can be baptized in the name of Jesus. Take on his name. Do not they persecute you because of that holy name which was called over you in baptism. Let me tell you, we're, we're coming on the end time. Jesus is coming back for a church that's been called by his name. There's going to be a false church. I said there's going to be a false church that denies his name. But we don't deny his name. We know who he is. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, somebody pray right now. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God, call somebody right now. 
Come on, Pastor. You've been laboring and you've been feeling discouraged. Stand up right now. Lift up your hand and realize that you are God's man. You're God's woman in that city. And it's going to go to hell if without you and your preaching and without you turning the lights on and calling the people together. Come on, there's a young man here. There's a young woman here. You're looking for something to give your life to. Don't you dare give it to uh, the corporate world. Don't you dare give it to education. Don't you dare give it to secular pursuits. Give it to Jesus today. You need to give it to Jesus today. You need to build his kingdom. Say, send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Come on, I'm done. We need a, a Holy Ghost needs to make the application of this message in our lives today. Hallelujah. You need to reach out and touch somebody. You're touching Jesus today. We are the called. We are the ecclesia. We are the church. We are the bride. We are the lively stone. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're his body. God, Alaska, Alaska, God, Alaska, God, every far-flung community, God, every center of civilization, God, oh, Jesus, 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 thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Let's find a place to pray. Let's come around this altar. God's speaking right now. Come on, God's tugging on somebody's heart right now. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody make yourself available. Hallelujah, hallelujah.